0: Morning. Morning, how are you? Do need help? Yeah, uh yes, we need to order.
1: Yes.
0: Um, I think we're going to get two coffees. Okay. Yep. And yep. I'll get the number 12, the two eggs, any style, um, sunny side up. And can I, instead of butter toast, can I get that dry? Okay, what
2: kind of toast? Um, whole
0: wheat. Yeah, and that's good for me.
2: Can I get the uh, ridge wrap?
0: American cheese?
2: Yes, thank you. And can I get some uh, hot sauce, too, if you have any? Yeah.
0: Great.
2: Cool.
0: Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. All right, should we get started? Let's
2: do it. Okay. Hi, I'm David Merkel.
0: And I'm Emily Figueroa.
2: We are the editors-in-chief of The Besties Review, and this is Diner Log, a conversation podcast about coffee and cinema. It is 7.57 a.m., and we are at the Ridge Diner in Park Ridge, New Jersey. We just came from the Palisades Center Mall, where we saw a 4 o'clock screening of Avengers Endgame.
0: And that's a.m.
2: 4 in the morning. This was our second time seeing Endgame, so we have a lot to unpack, but um, let's start by talking about our relationship to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now 22 films, 11 years. We were 10 or 11 when Iron Man first came out, so Emily, what's your relationship to the MCU?
0: Yeah, I'm actually really glad you asked that question. I've been thinking about it. Um, I feel like us being college students, um, born in 1997, not really part of that first wave of Marvel um, fans. Our relationship to the to the MCU is very specific to our generation in the sense that, and I think I can speak to you uh, a little bit about this, is that we're not necessarily fans of the comics. I've actually right. never read any of the comics personally. Um, so the relationship that we have is... Purely to the films mm-hmm. and to the franchise that's been built um, these past 11 years. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> we you got just... our coffee. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I, I just wanted to specify that to begin with because I, I I think that having the relationship to the comics and then coming to the films is a much different experience than, than the one that we're having um, just growing up with the films. Now, for me specifically... Um, I, I saw Iron Man in theaters when it came out in 2008. I remember my older brother took me. Shout out to Brendan, um, taking me to movies, <laughs> getting me out of the house. But I, you know, I, it, it's not that I necessarily remember being in the theater and being amazed by Iron Man. I remember the experience of going with him. And at the time, um, nobody knew what this would become. Um, right. It was a gamble then, it was a gamble casting RDJ. Um, and so it, it was just a movie that came out, and that's how I treated it. I didn't, it took me a while, even after that was success, and even after films came out after that. I saw a lot of Marvel movies in theaters. I think there's only two from the franchise that I didn't see um, in theaters. But even like past that point, I did not realize how big it was going to be until um, maybe a few years ago maybe when we met and we started watching movies together and we started talking about how much movies meant to us I was like wait a minute wait, Mm
2: -hmm. yeah, so (laughs) so I'll jump in so for me I didn't uh, I might have seen Iron Man I don't remember I remember for stuff in theaters I definitely saw Iron Man 3 Mm -hmm. and I definitely saw Guardians of the Galaxy in theaters Um, but I did and I watched the first Avengers on Netflix because someone told me it was good Um, I think I might have also done that with one of the Captain America movies, probably Winter Soldier. Yeah. But I didn't watch them in order. I didn't know they were all connected. I saw Guardians, and I loved it. It's one of my favorite movies. That was your
0: real first love when it came to the MCU, Oh, yeah,
2: and I had no idea it was connected. Like, I didn't know there were other movies. And so when we met, I knew you were really into it, so we binged all the ones that had already come out. Right. Right. Leading up to I guess it was Ant Man was the last one, which we got on Red Box. And then so the first one <laughs> I saw the first one I saw in theaters, uh like officially for being a part of the cultural moment was Captain America Civil, Civil War. Civil War.
0: What a great one to start in theaters with too. Yes. I gotta say.
2: It was very exciting. Um and now I'm connected to it as yes. much as you are. So
0: I think um Something I want to add to, because now that I'm reminiscing about just my relationship watching um, Marvel movies as a younger kid, it was also it was not necessarily a relationship like I've said that I remember in theaters so much as I remember being at home, coming home right after school, turning on the TV and hearing FX presents and <laughs> Iron Man and or um, Iron Man three was also one they played a lot. Not not so much Iron Man two. <laughs> but, uh, I wonder why? Wonder why? We know why. Um, but it's so funny because I, they they played it so much. That's the reasons why I've seen those movies countless, countless times. Um, but it's also funny because when I when we recently did our Marvel binge, um, leading up to Endgame, uh, I can pick out the points in both Iron Man and Iron Man Three where, where I knew the commercial would start. Yeah, where, and where and what scenes they cut because in you order watched to it make, on, on
2: like cable. Yeah,
0: because I watched it so much there. Yeah, which is another funny aspect to the. My MCU relationship, too, is that it wasn't just a theater experience. That's That was the cultural part of it, was that it was everywhere, and it was on cable when I came home, and it was just like Tony Stark being a figure, not only within my house and in the theater, but also just like in the back of my mind, especially mm-hmm. as Internet culture grew, and he was just everywhere I
2: looked. How long do you think uh, Endgame will run when they put it on, on TV? I hope forever. Add the commercials forever. in? Forever. <laughs> you think it would be like four hours with commercials? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, you mean that way? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. That's a great question because I
2: don't think this is one they'll they'll yeah, replay like, on it's, TV. It's much. hard. Um, so, in case you didn't already um, get what we're talking about, um, we're going to be talking about Endgame. We've seen it twice now. Most recent, most recently uh, about twenty minutes ago. Um, and so, if you don't want uh, Avengers Endgame spoiled for you. Don't listen to this. I suggest turning it off now. We've said all we can say. Well, do you have anything to say, non-spoilery, to to people who haven't seen it? Um, Oh, yeah, sure. Should they see it? Um, Is it good? Do they need to see the other ones?
0: Warning, it's great. Um, It's great. I I would say that um, if you haven't seen really any of the films within the Marvel franchise, um, it would be difficult for you to appreciate... Uh, the amount that's packed into this film. Mm -hmm. Um, It's definitely... And this word's thrown around a lot in a lot of reviews that are coming out recently and a lot of podcasts that are being recorded. uh, It's fan service in the sense that it's really paying homage to those fans that have put in the investment, have been following this franchise for years, have put in the 65 hours of watch time um, for the 21 films that came before it. Um, The film... Not only builds off of storylines that has happened previously, but also just has a lot of references, callbacks. Um, it's very self-referential. To quote David Merkel, um, so that's if, me. Yeah, that is that's the other guy. But um, <laughs>
2: do I use that word a lot? You do. You do. You
0: do use that word a lot.
2: Isn't yeah self yeah self referential? Yeah, yeah. That's the word. It,
0: you sound smart when you say it. Don't worry. But um, I, I would definitely say that it's a th- it's a three hour watch time, and you're not. I think you're gonna f- fully enjoy it unless you're in on all the stuff. Yeah.
2: So I was w- thinking about that when we were watching it today. So what do you think of it? Like what did you like? What did you, I know you loved it, but tell me why. I love
0: it. Um from, Oh, oh no.
2: perfect.
0: I uh, I have the eggs and he's got that. Yeah. Thank you so much. two eggs. I love two eggs, sunny side up, and home fries. That's what I love. I
2: love breakfast wraps.
0: <laughs> um, so what did I love about the film? Well...
2: Or maybe what didn't you love? Maybe, maybe there's maybe, maybe there's just you know le- less that you didn't like.
0: That could be a way to start out, in the sense that I... <laughs> there's a little about this film that I didn't think was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think that it was a movie on a mission to please its fans, to... Uh, provide payoff for, like I've said, those mm. twenty-one films of buildup, um, and so to say things that I didn't like a, didn't like about it would probably be easier. One of those things being, and I'm sorry if this hurts people's feelings, the Hulk's characterization in the film I thought was. You a did little... not
2: like Hulk Banner.
0: I we'll oh I did not like Hulk Banner. Should we
2: call him Bulk or, or, <laughs> Han- or Hanner?
0: <laughs> um i like bulk i like bulk, I like bulk. I like bulk. Yeah. he was bulky um yeah i just I, I really wasn't feeling it i think you know th- there was a point where like that first introduction where we see him in the diner and it's just everything you don't expect it's, it's hilarious of course it's hilarious and he has that little back and forth with scott lang where nobody wants to take a picture with ant-man because who the hell is ant-man outside of the suit we don't know yeah um and so that's hilarious, the sense that like Hulk has found some type of nirvana, um, despite the fact that he was just this character always fueled with rage and
1: mm-hmm.
0: something that was uncontrollable. It's, it is, it's absolutely hilarious, but I wonder if it was a gag taken too far. And I particularly think about this when it comes to Black Widow's death. I think that since Ultron, we've been expecting this kind of...
2: The romance.
0: The, yeah, the romance. I mean, the sexual tension between um, them when they had that little back and forth across the bar. I remember in Ultron was like, mm-hmm. it was weird at the time, I think, for me, because I wasn't expecting it, but I, I got on board with it, the separation that they had in Ragnarok, and then when Hulk, Hulk comes back onto the Quinjet and he watches that video of Natasha, and everything just kind of surges back in him, because he's back in his human form, he's right. kind of back from this place where he had been gone for two years, like, I felt the emotional resonance between those two characters, and I guess I was just expecting more, um... More, more from them, especially since it's Natasha's. More, house, more of that
2: relationship. More of that
0: relationship, where like, if you're gonna kill off Black Widow, which they do, and, which they do. Spoiler alert. Sorry, <laughs> if you're gonna kill off Black Widow, I, I just wonder why there wasn't more of a reaction from Hulk. I wonder why in those five years that people were gone, how they didn't come together at all I mean she's up alone well he became
2: av- green permanently well,
0: but I feel like that was the trouble but she's up alone in the Avengers facility while he's taking pictures in a diner it's like where was the impact that these people had on their lives They they were going to run away with each other in Ultron right they were ready they were ready to be together do you get what I'm saying? Like I, of course. I, I just I was I'm on board. I was happy with the gag, thought it was funny, but there is just no sense of resolution between I, those two characters. I
2: think that Endgame does a really good job of balancing its six core Avengers and finishing each of their stories, but uh, individually, there are varying degrees yes. of success. Seems like Banner, um, uh, sorry, Bulk. Um, <laughs> had sort of the, the lamest mm-hmm. uh, arc, and, you know, it's probably... Not, I wouldn't call it an arc. It's probably not the end of Bulk, but um, it's the end of an era. But it's the end of Nolk. It's the, it's the end of... Nulk? Who's Nulk? Natasha. Oh, Natasha and Hulk. And Bulk. <laughs> you, you don't ship Nanner, you ship Nulk?
0: I was just going with our new term.
2: No, it would be a very different relationship.
1: <laughs>
2: um, so it's probably the, the least effective, and then probably, I mean this didn't really seem like an ending for Thor at all. Um, if anything, this was just a, like a new beginning because he sort of had his resolution um, between Ragnarok and Infinity War. And this is sort of the aftermath of everything that's happened to him since the first Thor movie. And now at the end, he's rejuvenated. He's, he's finally passed on the throne officially. Mm-hmm. And so... Even though um, each of the characters had varying degrees of success related to their arcs or non-arcs, I think each one did get a a closing that they've been looking for for multiple films. And I'm just going to run through them real quick. Sure. Tony finally gets to protect the world. And he finally gets to rest, right?
0: Stop, I'll cry.
2: (laughs) Steve gets his dance. Uh, uh, Natasha clears her her ledger
1: mm.
2: um Banner gains control Thor has a mental breakdown and then <laughs> he passes on the throne for real and he's ready to not focus on his legacy or who he's supposed to be and then Hawkeye just gets an actual storyline for once ever yeah so I feel like that's a win for him he actually does something he runs around a lot
0: he has a cool haircut can we
2: count that as a win for Mo Hawkeye
0: I think so yeah
2: yeah I mean, I know they started. They started with Hawkeye. They start the whole movie with Hawkeye and his family.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, especially after, after being uh, absent for all of Infinity War,
0: it's nice to have Hawkeye come back with a punch. have a
2: full arc in quotations. It's sort of a mini arc. It's not a super exciting arc, but he does have moments with Natasha on Vormir that are really great for both of them um, as characters. We get so, another
0: reference to Budapest. Whatever went down there, will we ever know?
2: <laughs> in the Black Widow prequel, we just may. We just may know. Um, what
0: those giggles about Budapest are all
2: about. You know what? Probably, in in in, re- in retrospect, after mentioning it, like this is nothing like Budapest over and over in Avengers and now in this movie, Budapest was probably just some regular old battle. And it's probably not that interesting compared to the stuff we've been seeing. So I don't think anybody really wants to see Unless Budapest. Unless
0: there were aliens in Budapest.
2: But he says this is nothing like Budapest. Exactly. So I, I doubt it. All right, well,
0: um, nothing like Budapest. So,
2: so yeah, Endgame, it, it, it's not the end for everybody, obviously. Right. And it's not even the end for just everyone left alive. I mean, it's not Rocket's end. It's definitely not Nebula's end. It's not uh, Scott Lang's end. But it's the end of our core six. Maybe throw in uh, Don Cheadle. Yeah. Who this is probably Core
0: Six by Proxy.
2: Yeah, he's the he's like the, the seventh wheel of, <laughs> <laughs> of the Avengers. Um so, so yeah, they all they all get their storylines wrapped up in yeah. some way or another, which I think is super impressive for just a three hour movie. And they're not just storylines for the movie, they're they're conclusions of their characters over eleven years, some of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the whole plotline getting control, even though we didn't like it that much,
1: that's something they've been working
2: towards for a long time. And so I think even though uh, Nat and Banner don't get that resolved, that's sort of just left in the air. Right. What they do focus on for each character, maybe what they only had time for, was to focus on their individual growth and finale. Um,
0: disagreed. Just, I'm saying maybe on, that's
2: what they thought.
0: Just on that one little point, um, because I I, I like the way you phrased that. You you sold me about eighty percent on on Banner in the sense that I do agree it was a good, it did feel like a good resolution to his arc because you're right that is something from even our Ed Norton days that Banner had been searching for It's just some semblance of control some some type of. You know, mm-hmm. footing in his own identity that he could feel comfortable in, being comfortable in his own skin, whether it's green or not. Um, I just, I just think like I think any of this could have been resolved if just like when Nat dies, we get more of a
2: like a
0: cry. Where was the crying from? I mean, Banner?
2: He uh he goes down on one knee, and, right? And he hits the <laughs> hits the thing. Then uh, in the next scene, he throws that bench. And then they cut while the bench is still in the air, and it doesn't splash. That's continuity error for how <laughs> you paying attention.
0: I just, I, I think what upset me the most about it too was that um, right at the end, before Steve goes into the quantum realm to, quantum realm to return the stones, he goes to Steve. Oh, I miss her. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> you know, like that, that Steve's t-
2: like same. Same.
0: He's like that even Steve. Steve gave us a single tear on that dock. And Hulk's the wrench. Well, oh
2: my god! How many single tears did uh, did Chris Evans do in this movie? Because it felt like a couple. Um,
0: each tears, each tears a million dollars.
2: <laughs> um, we can't have this podcast without talking about time travel. True. It seems like the world is divided. <laughs> Some people say this time travel makes sense. Some people say this time travel makes no friggin' sense. So yeah. So, Emily, let's talk. Does this time travel make sense?
0: I would dare say it does.
2: I would dare agree with you.
0: I just think that it does not make sense if you, like they say in the movie, continue to prescribe to typical time travel beliefs as proposed by Back to the Future, Hot Tub Time Machine, anything that basically tells you, like, you go back into the past. Change the past to
2: change the future. Exactly. Which is not what they were trying to do.
0: No. This This type of time travel logic, to just be, like, as straightforward as possible is we can go to the past, but anything that we do, like, if I talk to somebody in the past, if I um, bump into somebody, um, if I accidentally give Loki the Tesseract, um, if I change the past in the past, nothing happens. Right. When I return to my future, it's still the same present that I had had come from, because... In my reality, in my version of this multiverse, I've already lived my past. And therefore, I can't change it because I've already lived through those things. Now we have to remember that in this in this world, in this narrative from the voice of the Sorcer- Sorcerer Supreme herself um, it is a multiverse and so there are many different versions of reality um, but for the reality that our characters are living in, for the reality that we're seeing portrayed on screen um, it's one specific string in time and re-entering your past in your specific string of time is not going to change your future because you've already lived it. I think that's as simple as we can put it.
2: Yeah, so when they go back in time... Yes. It's almost like a playground of time. In sure. this In the sense that, like, you know, you could kill someone back there, back in time, and they're not dead in your current timeline. I guess the best way
0: to maybe think about it is kind of like a simulation. I'm I'm entering a simulation of my past. And so the things that I do in this simulation have real, no real repercussions because it's no longer, it's no longer my life. It's no longer what I'm actually living. What does have repercussions is when you enter the past and take an object and you bring it to your present. That's the the present is where you can inflict change on your future. And so when I go back to the past and, and I take the Infinity Stones, and I bring them to the present moment to do a snap. That has actual consequences. And that's and that's how I'm able to not go back in time before Thanos' snap and stop people, because that would be impossible. But that's how I'm able to bring everybody back in my present moment five years later.
2: I mean, Hulk says it best. Bulk, I'm sorry, Bulk says it best. Excuse us. Just the, the baseline rule of MCU time travel is that you can't change the past. Mm-hmm. But if you go to the past... Yeah then what is the future is your past. So doing something in the past won't change your future because your future is now your past and you can't change the past.
0: It makes sense if you choose to accept it in the yeah. sense that none of us know how It's to a,
2: a comic to. book movie. Also, This is how time travel works there. Just go with it.
0: Also, none of us know how time works anyway. So, if you choose to prescribe to one theory of time or another, it's just a matter of accepting whether that accepting it or not. You know, in in this movie, in this universe, you just have to go in. You have to understand the rules, and if you prescribe to their certain logic, then it actually does make sense within the movie. But you just have to adjust your thinking.
2: I think where people are getting confused is that most time travel movies, the stakes are are that if you change the past it will inherently change the future and that's bad and those are the stakes the stakes here is that they only have enough pim Particles to do one jump so they have to get it right the first time they're not worried about messing up what has happened or reversing what has happened they're trying to do something new Right. and so I think that that helps the movie because everything else would be way too complicated you wouldn't get all these great cameos all these great moments um, Captain America saying Hail Hydra um, fighting himself, um, you know. Well,
0: save some of those good scenes for when we talk about best scene in the movie, because I have some.
2: Oh, we're going to vote on best scene. Bring we're we're up right. Gonna, we're going to do it. Um, okay. Last couple like plot hole things or, sure. or just things to discuss that are still up in the air. Um, some people were wondering, you know, why can Captain America lift Thor's hammer? And I think you had a pretty good explanation for the hat. You and wanna- Thor says in the movie, he says, "I knew it."
0: Yeah, I. I'm glad you caught that this time. And it's so. because he knew it. He knew it. Well, so we're, we're referring to a part in um, Ultron. Wow, Ultron's really coming up today. Coming I don't know up. why it's so fresh in my memory, because we watched all of the movies um, in the past two weeks. It's the beginning And, I, and of- I've seen all of them so many times. But Right. Um, Ultron, uh, there's, there's a part in the beginning of the movie, oh my god, what a fantastic scene. Um, they're all sitting down in Tony Stark's house? Is it the New York facility? New, what Was no, the New York Avengers facility? They're in the
2: Avengers Tower. Right.
0: Um, and uh, they're all sitting down, post-party, just laughing, Thor's hammer sitting on a table. and
2: They're playing a party game. Right, they're, they're playing a party game. Thor's Thor says, hammer.
0: oh, you have to be worthy, nobody else can pick it up, and so everybody gets a little cocky. Iron Man stands up, gets his glove on, tries to pick it up, and he can't. And Captain America gives it a try, and one of the best moments of that movie is that it, it moves just a tiny bit and you hair. see you see the panic in Thor's eyes, but he d- isn't able to lift it, so he's not completely worthy. But oh, was he
2: faking it? He was totally faking That's it. That's the theory? He was faking it?
0: I think... so. It, you, I think there's two ways to see it. I think in this in Endgame, they suggest that he might have been faking it in the sense that he, Thor <laughs> says to um, Captain America after he lifts it, I knew it, as if Captain America was able to lift it the whole time, and right. he was just playing with Thor during that scene in Ultron. At the time when I saw Ultron, I thought... Actually, not at the time when I saw Ultron. After I saw Ultron, again, in our recent binge, and then after we saw Endgame the first time, my logic trying to understand it was that, you know, Captain America does grow a lot from Ultron to this movie. And right. I think...
2: He's always been good.
0: He's always been good, but I think something that held back to his character, because he was never perfect... He was an embodiment of a lot of things that people perceive as perfect, but he held a grudge. He had that fight with Tony, and even though Tony was more vocal and more angry and definitely came across more as the stubborn one, Mm -hmm. Captain America was at fault. And he did, in a sense, have some... he did abandon, in a way. He did um, refuse to play everybody's game. He's definitely not a diplomat. In the way that T'Challa is, who doesn't necessarily want to play the game, but knows that he has to, knows that there's other forces in the world that he has to appease. Are
2: you a Cap Hive or a Tony Hive? I'm
0: definitely a Tony Hive. You know, I've always hated Captain America.
2: Yeah, sorry, Cap fans. <laughs> um, he's good in this one. Um, yeah, okay, okay.
0: This is the best Captain America movie I've ever seen. I this movie made me like him.
2: I mean, it forces you to. It forces you. I mean, you like, too. there's no other way. Um, Last, last sort of thing. This isn't really like a plot hole or a confusion. It's just sort of a question for the future, and I think it'll play into Guardians three, which Mm -hmm. is, um, you know, when Thanos comes to the present day with old Nebula and old Gamora, who we know from Infinity War was um, killed by Thanos to get the Soul Stone. It is now a a past iteration of Gamora before the events of Guardians and Guardians two and Infinity War, and before her death. And she joins the fight in the present day and she doesn't travel back. Mm -hmm. She just disappears after the fight. We don't know where she went. But she is now effectively alive but not the same Gamora that we know. So, um, I think that's something that, you know, they hint at at the end. Quill is searching on the map, searching for Gamora and nothing's coming up. Um, I, I think Guardians 3 will have to somehow focus on that. She's Core member of the team. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? Back from the so dead. I, were you expecting?
0: Um. Yes. I. You know, we know that there, we knew that there was another Guardians movie coming out before um, Endgame came to theaters. And what is Guardians without Gamora? One, she's their only female member. So I don't think they could have survived really as a uh, team.
2: They have Mantis now.
0: Um, I guess you know that that's true, but.
2: She's no Gamora. She's no Gamora. Sorry, Mantis Hive. I,
0: I do, I do love. <laughs> I know, I do love Mantis though. Or what? What did they say in um, Endgame? And the one with the antenna, right? yeah, Oh yeah. Um, Rocket says
2: that. Rocket says that. Yeah. Oh,
0: what a great moment. Um, no, I, I, I always thought they needed to bring Gamora back. in a in sense, her and Quill are they're the they're the center of Guardians. Um, yeah. It, it, I mean, would would you disagree with that?
2: No, they're also one of the only. Um, like real uh couples like romantic yeah. couples in the mcu we it's, gotta it's, protect it's them ant-man and wasp i guess mm. you count uh, captain america and peggy but not really because that's past but like current romances there's always been a lot of hinted romance in the mcu yeah. it's a very kind of like uh, loveless uh yeah <laughs> series I but mean, just
0: as a, a Gamora fan myself. She's always, I think, been either number one or number two of my favorite MCU characters. Mm. She's just such a strong, powerful character, and she has one of the most complex, interesting backgrounds. I mean, her whole connection to Thanos throughout this Infinity Saga, like, that's... She has so much depth. yeah, Just because of that connection, and then she's also on top of that she has her relationship with nebula which is mm. so weird and I l- weird. I love the
2: way they've they've developed nebula and her relationship with Gamora. Uh, uh, you know Gamora. and
0: and the best thing they did was the the best thing they did in those movies was not forget that you need to have an em- emphasis on the relationship mm-hmm. because it's not just their personal connections with thanos having daddy issues it's you know he tore them apart as sisters and so when you see them come together at the end of guardians 2 which is one of the better moments of Guardians 2 in a movie that wasn't that fantastic Yep. Um. that scene in the cave it's just like that's where that's where the money is that's where the heart of the movie is it's right. unpacking those complex relationships and seeing them evolve, and so for looking forward to Guardians 3 I think one Searching for Gamora maybe a song name I feel like that could be a song
2: Like you um, think like Chris Pratt maybe would like write like a, r- a, write power, a ballad, ballad. Yeah. power
0: ballad yeah I'd be excited Searching just,
2: for Gamora he could record it onto a new cassette <laughs>
0: Oh, that'd be great, and then give it to. Oh her? wait,
2: but now he has that. Uh, he has a Zune now.
0: That's true. He's a modern man.
2: I, I mean, I'd be. It would be a shame if he doesn't get some sort of new cassette for Guardians Three. He can't just be on you his Zune all the time. But he
0: was just. He was just on Earth. He could. He could have picked up some equipment to record. I'm just saying that. I do think they've set up a good storyline for Guardians 3. I think I that do. the appearance I... of Thor in a Guardians 3 is a strong possibility mm-hmm. because of his new connection with the Guardians. I hope
2: more in, in a smaller capacity than, you know, than they're hinting at. Yes. Um, yeah. I don't, because Thor is a, he's a huge character. And, mm-hmm. he, and he's, on screen he's, he's big. Like he, Except for maybe Endgame with his most recent transformation, which I'm sure they'll reverse mm-hmm. um, as him and Quill compete to be the hottest bod on the on the ship. But he's a com- <laughs> he's a commanding force on screen, comedically, dramatically, um, and so you know I don't I love the Guardians and I love Thor. I worry about Thor overpowering them if he's like. A, core guardian for the whole movie you know what I mean so what was
0: this what was this initial question where is who is Gamora why is Gamora
2: you know you know what they actually um, Drax's question is now answered from Infinity War why is Gamora because she came from the past and now she's floating out there somewhere that's why
0: alright well moving on then moving on
2: Um, let's let's crown it let's crown the best moment the best scene of Avengers Endgame, and, um, you know, we can talk through some of them, some iconic lines. Sure.
0: Let's call them, let's call them, I don't want to call them scenes, and I'm wary to call them moments, just because I want to use that definition to explain a moment from the film that I enjoyed later on, but I'd be really interested to hear your first takes on what you thought were the best moments in the movie.
2: So when I was writing down, like, my first thoughts, after just seeing it once, um... Everything that came to mind was Captain America. It's him in the elevator in two thousand twelve, saying "Hail Hydra." The crowd went crazy. Bigger than anything in the whole movie, except maybe the ending. Um, him fighting himself for the for Loki staff, um, and and the o- the old version of him thinking that he's Loki in disguise, which is hilarious. Um, he finally gets to say "Avengers Assemble," which. He only almost said at the end of... Uh, I guess that was Ultron? At the end of Ultron, he says, Avengers, uh... And then they cuts to credits, because they like to tease us. They finally got to say Avengers Assemble, and it was when literally everybody was there. Minus Black Widow. Um, <laughs> Rip. <laughs> and Vision, I guess. Um, yeah. So I feel like Cap had the, the fan service moments that really, oh, yeah. that really stick out to me. And Tony had the emotional... Like, it'll stick with you forever moments. Right.
0: So let me say then what my, now that we're pivoting How much to do Tony, you
2: love, wait, how much do you love this movie?
0: I love this movie 3,000.
2: 3,000. It's um, going to be a meme forever.
0: I hope it is. <laughs> my favorite moment, now that we're at Tony Stark, my one true love, is um, Tony's snap. His sacrificial snap, I am Iron Man. That was, you know, wh- whereas Cap had more callbacks that were were fun to see. for I mean, as you've said, Hail Hydra was probably my second favorite. What, that was the callback to, NL callbacks was it I am Iron Man. Should we reenact back to, it? Back to, yeah, go ahead.
2: Let's do it at the same time. He said, and I
1: <laughs> am I'm
2: Iron Man. Man. Okay. Um, Too close to the mic, but um, <laughs>
0: no, I just I think that. It, it goes back to, I think, what we were talking about before, um, which is honoring our origins. And, you know, he's the first movie in 2008. That movie was A Gamble. I remember we were talking, I think, a few weeks ago about mm-hmm. about an interview that Kevin Feige did, which was a few years ago um, now, about... Starting the MCU, not sureing, not being so sure how to approach the movies um, since these characters are so loved, um, since nothing like this had been done before prior to that. Yeah, thank you. Um, clearing the plates. I, I ate my eggs and my potatoes while David was talking before. But, um, how were no, they? Oh my god, delicious. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Kevin Feige had done an interview talking right. about learning how to trust himself as a producer and learning to trust the vision of where he thought Marvel should go he said that filming Iron Man was a really wary process because like I've said they didn't they didn't know how to treat these characters that had never been to the screen before. Mm-hmm. And the moment where he thought to himself, we need to we need to trust ourselves as creatives, we need to trust how we're adapting this was when RDJ improvised the line, I am Iron Man, at the end of the movie. Um, That was not in the script. That was not something he was told to do. That was just RDJ being the magnificent man that he is. And from that, I think that's where the spirit of the franchise was born. And so... I, I think that's in everybody's mind. I think that's the, that's the iconic line that even if you didn't know that story, that's what resonates with fans. That's what FX used to promote the movie when it would play constantly on, on TV. They would show that one little clip, and I'd be like, okay, well, I've already seen this 30 times on the FX and their weird edited version, but I'll watch it again because it's Tuesday night and I don't want to do my homework.
2: It has two, And it has two meanings, too,
0: because yes. it's Tony
2: Stark saying, I'm Iron Man. And it's also Robert Downey Jr. saying, uh, yeah. I, am, I am Iron Man. Yeah. Because that's who he is now. That's who like, he is. This is what he'll be remembered for. So do you want to Clearly. talk about
0: then where the character of Iron Man has placed himself in today's culture? Because you're right. It's it's so much more than a man playing a character. It's, it's a movement. He's a symbol. It's something so beyond what... I think they initially were planning on doing with him and the franchise that, like, basically what I'm trying to get at is that there's a reason why this movie might make close to a billion dollars this opening weekend. There's a reason why when we saw it that first night, the opening night, people were crying, were cheering, were getting up from their seats in laughter or in just sheer surprise. There's a reason why one of the most emotional moments in the movie was not even in the film narrative itself. It was at the end with the credits where they went through Mm. the core six. Yeah, we should
2: talk about the credits. They went
0: through the core six. They had their signatures. And they had their signatures. The most I cried personally, and the most I saw the little girl cry, who was next to me the second Mm. time we watched it, was when RDJ came up at the end. Yeah. And so I'll talk about that in a little bit, but I want to hear what you think about Tony Stark, the cultural character.
2: Well, because I know like... uh, Fans are split. I mean, Tony is, as much as people love Captain America, Tony's the face right. of the MCU. Oh, and there, there's, no a, there's a reason that he's the one who goes in the battle. He's the, it's the, there's a reason why he's the one who snaps and why he gets to call back to the very first movie, his very first movie, the whole thing. And it's, you know, it's moments like this that, um, it's, you know, I remember the wise words of somebody uh, named Groot. I think we. Are Iron
0: Man We are (laughs) group. No
2: we are Iron Man Oh we
0: are Iron Man (laughs) I agree Because when
2: he says it In in this movie In the first movie He was saying I am Iron Man In this movie You feel Like you're a part of it Yeah You didn't feel like You were a part of it At the beginning Because there wasn't Anything to be a part of It was just the beginning Right And now when you see it it, It's all connected And it's the perfect Send off I think for, For Tony Stark Who's gone through So many changes He had his first Three movie arc from being war-mongering um, weapons manufacturer. Billionaire playboy. (laughs) Billionaire playboy. Philanthropist. I
0: can't say that word, but get it. You mean philanthropist? Yeah, I'm trying to do the quote, but it it got caught in my mouth. (laughs) Um,
2: You know, and then he goes on, he wants to save people, and then he has PTSD from the Avengers. And then Ultron, into Civil War, into the, uh, the Infinity War Endgame era, he has that, Bunninghead's relationship with Captain America and he wants to, they say it in this movie too which is in one of my absolute favorite scenes after Tony is saved um, by Carol Danvers at the beginning of the movie when him and Nebula are saved um, and he's wearing the IV and he's yelling at Captain America and he's repeating verbatim lines of dialogue from Ultron about how he wanted to put a suit, a suit of, of armor, armor on the world and that's just Hits you in the feels.
0: Yeah. He's definitely he's definitely the epitome of a of a well done character arc. Because you're right, he had his character arc in his three movies. But being a constant figure mm-hmm. in a bunch of other ones, we, we really gain a sense of not only where Tony started, but what his struggle was and where he was going. And that's what makes the last line from Pepper so devastating. Right. You can finally rest because it's not so much that she asked him if he could rest at the beginning of Endgame when he was first propositioned by Captain America to do this, like, one final mission, the mission of all missions. But it's also, it's Iron Man 3 where she was like, well, why do you need to keep tinkering? Why are you, why do you keep doing this? Why can't you just stop? And you've always gotten a sense from Tony that he can't stop. He's an Mm -hmm. ADHD genius who needs to constantly be doing something because something's always eating at him, whether it's his need to create or his need to protect. Those needs change throughout all the movies, his own movies, through his movies with... I mean, I, I think about... Um, Spider-Man Homecoming where he becomes that father figure. There's also that sense of he always needs to be fixing and he always needs to be doing because Mm -hmm. he needs to recruit Peter not just so he has backup for Civil War but also because he feels a type of responsibility for him. If he's not out there protecting people, if he's not out there doing something to ensure the protection of others in the future, then he doesn't know what to do with himself. He's just kind of like in limbo.
2: Yeah, he found his calling after the first Iron Man right. movie of, of being that person, and he never gave it up.
0: Which which is why, you know, because I was thinking about who Tony Stark was at the beginning of Endgame. After that encounter with Cap, after the five-year um, title card, because you, you see him in this domestic setting, he seems very happy. And on first watch, I thought, did he grow? Did he grow? And why is he tr- why is he risking it? Because I, you see him; he's the epitome of a caring father. He seems happy, and so. At first, this question of, how, is he able to rest? Yes, he's able to rest, because he's happy. We can see it on screen, except that he wasn't. And I, I think this was very clever in the movie's part, um, And that in this second watch, I really noticed that the gift he was making for Pepper was a suit. Right. And so, if he was really past Iron Man, if he was really past the hero's duty he would have nothing to do with any of the imagery of Iron Man itself. Iron Man is the representation of him always needing to do things. He wanted
2: wanted to put a suit of armor around the world, and when he couldn't do that, he decided to put it around his own family. And, you know, they probably hinted uh, at that more obviously than we realize in every single movie. Everywhere he's ever lived has been blown up, and then he moves. You know, his... His house in California is blown up, so he moves to Avengers Tower. Avengers right. Tower is destroyed, so he moves to the whatever Avengers facility. And he's always he was always moving. And because he's never going to stay where he is, he's never going to stop always, fighting. And so he'll right. never have that domesticated life, even if he did have it for a short period of
0: time. Always moving and always outfitting his friends. So he gives Pepper the suit in this movie. He gives, uh, he gives Tom Holland the suit yeah. in Homecoming. He makes all the suits, all the equipment for the for the Avengers themselves, he... I mean, in the first few movies, he gives his best friend a
2: suit. Rhodey who is
0: War Machine. That's the beginning of him.
2: Who made those time travel Ant-Man suits?
0: I'm assuming Tony, right?
2: Yeah, but why would he make a bunch of Ant-Man suits? They had Ant-Man helmets. It's a plot hole.
0: I don't think it's a plot hole, I think... I'm just joking. Oh, okay.
2: <laughs> um, besides the moments of Captain America and, and Tony Stark, um... We should talk about the big, the big kahuna. That battle. Oh, my God. That battle, though. Um, I mean, there were a lot of great moments in the movie, but I think, like, just the best. I mean, here, I wrote a list. I found this online. Here's everybody in the battle. All of the Avengers, Sans Black Widow, all the resurrected uh, Avengers and, and teammates from the Snap, the Guardians of the Galaxy, Doctor Strange and his sorcerers, And the armies of Asgard, Wakanda, and the Ravagers from the Guardians uh, franchise. That's huge. It's crazy. I mean, you could just go through the list of all the individual characters who we know who were there. It's got to be upwards of, you know, 25. You know, you can hardly keep track of them, but they all get their own, like, little moment to shine in that battle. How did you feel when you saw it?
0: I think I was the best word to describe it was overcome because um, it, it was it was a I was expecting that moment, but I don't think it was I wasn't expecting it at that time. right before everybody shows up cat gets cap gets the crap beaten out of him um, by Thanos mm-hmm. and you think he's about to do this like I can do this all day kind of moment where he no, he's gonna stop saying that. does the slow getting up and he kind of looks up and he's like, oh God, I gotta keep going. And that's when everybody appears. One, it was just beautiful timing. I mean, the coincidence of uh, people appearing in battle is always exciting to see, even if it's a little.
2: Because it starts with the, weird, but the message from. Uh from Sam. Yes, it's he's impressive. like, do you, do you? He's like, on your left.
0: Right, and then um, everybody comes through the the Doctor Strange portals, which is fantastic because I love Doctor Strange. They come
2: through Stephen's holes. They,
0: they come. All, they come through all of Stephen's pores. His glowing. His glowing his, holes. His, his glowing <laughs> 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 onto the battle. Shout out to Stephen Strange. I love you. Um, and you know, it, it's it's a really beautiful moment. I'm, I was overcome because it was it was fantastic to see all these different characters from all these different places not only come together but in the extravagance that they do Yeah, I don't think it was just seeing the people that we've been seeing throughout the movies for me it actually might have been the impact of seeing the armies of Wakanda, of Asgard, and the Ravagers, because you get the sense of how large the Avengers universe is. It's not—it's right. not just these characters. It's—it also embodies like all these different places where these characters have been coming from, and I think just the sheer volume of people that wind up being on that side. And then Cap's line is just great. You're right with the ending of. Uh, Avengers Assemble! Finally, there's also a sense of like it's not—it's no longer about just our group of Avengers that we know. It's about the community of the Avengers themselves. Mm -hmm. It's—it's—it's the people they represent, but it's also the fans. For me, that was a fan moment in the sense it was encapsulating how many people are involved in this franchise, how many people we represent. It's like—it's a lot. I, I felt I felt on their side. I felt on the front lines with them. I thought all those bodies were representative of the community that MCU has built. I think it was symbolic. Yeah,
2: yeah, and and I don't know when the next time we'll see something that grand with that many right. people will be, but it was pretty incredible. I mean, it's just chock full of um, fan service moments. I mean, you have you have Spider Man holding an Infinity Gauntlet. Riding with Valkyrie on a Pegasus, <laughs> like that's just that's just like three seconds of the fight, which is like ten minutes long, and you and you have you know you have um, uh, Pepper in her blue suit fighting off stuff where she's apparently very good at, and you know you have that one shot where all uh, after Captain Marvel arrives, where all the female Avengers best. get in the best get in formation and they go at it, you know. Um, it's, and, and and then of course you have the ending, not just Tony's ending, but Thanos turns to dust. I mean, just that image, that moment was pretty, pretty right. powerful.
0: Uh, you know what I thought was, might've been the most devastating part of the battle was on... Um, you know, I'll say I'll say two things actually. Two two devastating parts was I forgot for a second just how young Peter is.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Tom Holland's young, which I appreciate a younger casting for Peter Parker because for too long we've been casting adults to play high schoolers, and it's pissing me off, man. But just the moment he has the gauntlet, he he falls for the umpteenth time, and he's on the floor. Gunfire is just raining down from the skies, and. He's just curled up in a ball, scared. It's right before Captain Marvel saves him. Uh-huh. I, I forgot how young he was. I forget that he was a high schooler because he's using instant kill now. He's a big boy. Um, I think that was devastating for me because that that gave me, in the middle of the fight scene, a sense of what's on the line. Lives mm-hmm. are on the line. Um, innocence is on the line. For a, for a boy like that, it's like we love Peter Parker because he's this like cute kind of quippy little kid and you forget that he's little and so that was a good reminder in the middle of the battle that there's real stakes
2: yeah and you know what that reminded me of he's he's, when uh, Captain Marvel walks up to him he's clutching the gauntlet Mm -hmm. and he's like trembling there yeah and that seems like almost a direct parallel to uh, Captain America the first Avenger in that training sequence when he throws the fake grenade and Captain America jumps on top of it like he was holding it and he was ready to die holding it yeah and he's 17 years old.
0: But, um... Pretty
2: incredible. And what was your other moment?
0: My other moment, which I think was probably, hands down, the most devastating part of this battle, was that, number one, it's the one scenario that Stephen Strange held up to Iron Man, mm. and I, I just want to unpack why I think this moment means so much. The one shaky
2: finger is what you're referring to the one while he's holding finger, off the water. Yes.
0: Yeah, because The reason why is because when Stephen Strange goes and looks at all the different possibilities um, in Infinity Wars to see how they could potentially beat Thanos um, he says that there's one and Tony Stark asks about this in the midst of the battle in Endgame and Strange says, I can't tell you because then it might not come true Now when Stephen Strange looks into the future and sees how they defeat Thanos he knows that it has to be through RDJ's sacrifice. There right. was only one way and it was Tony Stark dying. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what gets me, is that when he holds up to that number one to Tony in that moment, they both have a realization between the two of them. Stark realizes, I know what I have to do now. I have to be the person to do this. And that, that's when, and you know what, it's really a feeling that I only got from the second viewing because I had this knowledge already coursing through me and it was it was just it was horrifying because if you're Stephen Strange and you have that knowledge and you have to withhold it because you need this future to be possible and then you hold it up to Tony you're telling him buddy i knew this the whole time right but this is the only way and stark who has that thought and then looks to strange to be like could it possibly be the only way and he gets that yes it is the only way wow right. that's and
2: if you and if you remember it takes you all the way back to Ugh. infinity war when Thanos is about to lay the final blow on, and kill Tony Stark, and Strange gives up the stone to save Tony. Mm-hmm. He saves Tony in that moment, knowing that Tony has to be the one to die in, whatever, five years to save everybody. Right. So he And Tony's mad at him for saving him and for giving up the stone. But Strange the whole time knows that the only way is to let Tony live so he can eventually die.
0: What a burden to have on your shoulders when you're Stephen Strange.
2: But I love Stephen Strange. What a great, complex character. And Cumberbatch does such a good job I, and I'm thinking, in those little moments. I'm thinking
0: about it, too, because I think it is quite a bur- burden. But when you think about where Strange comes from, his background um, as a surgeon, I mean, when you're a doctor, you, you literally have life and death Within your hands, and sometimes you have to make executive decisions whether or not things are possible, and mm. whether or not it's actually helping some, the good. And
2: sometimes you know before something happens what's going to happen, right?
0: And so it, you have that and that's, knowledge, and that's why Stephen Strange is such a good character because it to have him be this person that can make these decisions. Like, well, Tony might have to die, but this might be the only way. Wow what a, what a yeah. what a great moment! What a great Pairing of characters and actions and results. I just like I I hate that Tony had to go, but if it went in this way, at least I'm happy that it went out in a with a bang yeah. and with good reasoning. You know. Yes,
2: and you know I'd, we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, talk about caps ending in mm. what I'm referring to as the epilogue. Everything that happens post battle. Sure. Yes. It's probably about twenty minutes. Do of you want to talk about movie. caps
0: men- ending? I feel like you're a bit of a sap.
2: Um, yeah. I mean listen it's a it's a great ending it's it's what he needed um you know it's he gets his dance as, a, as i said before and i mean i'm not as attached to cap as i am to tony and he didn't die he he actually lived you know his his life the way he wanted to and so he gets like the happiest ending of anybody like, probably forever um and you know, but they but they did it right. I mean, if they're going to say goodbye, it is it is a goodbye to to Cap and to and to Tony. I'm glad um, they
0: didn't kill off both of them too. I feel like they that would have been yeah, too they much. They couldn't have. And,
2: and, and they did it the right way. They they chose the right moments. Um, they chose the right order of the moments. Um, yes. Because I think it also is Tony's death that really pushes Captain. Cap into being like. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna yes. I'm gonna get that life, Tony. It was the Tony told me to get. needed.
0: You're right. That that it is a good catalyst for him to finally right. put. You know why? Because uh, what's that quote? I don't remember for what movie, but um, it was something. It, it must have had something to do with the shield of armor. Yeah. And Cap says, you know, his line like, "Oh, you shouldn't go making the war before the war exists" or something. And Tony's like, "Well, don't you live for it?" I don't remember what movie it was. It probably wasn't said like that, but there that sentiment was passed along at some point. And you know, that stuck with me in its vague way because Cap didn't exist without a fight for a really long time. And I feel like Civil War was a way of showing that Cap can't exist without a fight. Yeah. And so for him to finally find some type of inner peace and allow himself for the first time to be selfish and to pursue something in his own interest, it would have had to been something as tragic as Tony Stark dying for that to happen. Yeah. I think we've already discussed the end credits, right? Yeah. Or did, I you, mean, did you Did you want to add just, something to the feels that were the end credits? I mean,
2: it's great. It's like it's like an in memoriam oh for, pe- God, for people who aren't dead. Like, it's but, just awesome. It like makes you feel so much, and you get their signatures, and you know they just did the uh, handprints outside of the, yeah, the Chinese, the Chinese theater. theater where they signed their names in the cement. I mean, it's the movie version of that. Right. It's like here are their autographs on screen. And they have, like, figures of them that almost look like Thank action you. figures. Thank you. They almost look like action figures, you know? When they're up there in, in the darkness. I thought the same
0: thing. They yeah. look like action figures. Because um, they are. They're,
2: they're action figures, basically. And you know
0: what's funny is that uh, you were talking before about RDJ the man and Iron Man the character and how this movie, the I am Iron Man moment, is a callback So the first movie, but also a reference to the duality, but also the non-duality between the characters because they're essentially the same now. Right. And I think that having the last bit of the core six um, credits punctuated by RDJ and his signature, I felt like that was a reminder for everyone that the impact that both this man and the character have, the impact they probably had on each other. And I thought it was a good way to... End it. It was a good way yeah, to end I mean, those credits, yeah.
2: and with no scene. I mean, I think that's just perfect. Right. Um, it's,
0: it was the perfect amount of silence. Right. I think to give you the, the real sense of gravity to this movie. This is this is the movie that did, it could have had an end credit scene. It could have been for home for not for homecoming for far from home. I
2: mean, there's a lot of so, questions about where the MCU is gonna, gonna go, go. From here, and I think we could talk about that for another hour. Um, but yeah, we're so seeing far on. from we're seeing far from home in two months. So I think we will hold our conversation on the future of the MCU after Endgame until then. I want to I leave with just a little thing here. We know sort of what the slate of Marvel movies is going to be. Far From Home, a Black Widow prequel, The Eternals, Doctor Strange sequel, Black Panther sequel, Guardians 3. But there's no big team-up plan. There's no new Avengers. So, who would you want to see as the new Core 6? Who's going to lead this uh franchise into the next generation. Yeah. As a team. P- pitch me your dream team.
0: My dream team? See, do, do you have your six? You know cuz I was I was thinking a lot about this question um prior prior to us talking today. And at first at first I was pairing up people that shouldn't have been paired up in the first place. I think I was my first response was to put all my favorite characters into one team and be like, "This is the dream team." Right. And that dream team was like it had Guardians characters, it had Captain Marvel, and then it had Spider Man and um, T'Challa, who's Black Panther, and and then I had to like tell myself to calm down and remind myself that, wait a minute, there's the Earth characters, there's those Terrans, and then there's the people that belong in space and should be doing stuff in space. Right. And so I had to remind myself, no, this question really isn't about who are your favorite people with them right now. It's about teaming people up and seeing basically what the chemistry is between them. And for me, an Avengers team are people that are on Earth? I feel like
1: yeah.
2: even the
0: Earth's them, mightiest heroes. It's Earth mightiest, exactly, and so.
2: Who's your Earthbound team?
0: I don't think I ha- I, can, I don't think I can name you six.
2: I have some suggestions. But I'll give you. Oh g- yeah, give me yours. I'll
0: give you my top. I think very necessary for the new Avengers is the leadership of Doctor Strange and of Black Panther. Yes. And I'll say why. I think Doctor Strange in these movies, in Infinity War and Endgame, has proven to be, uh, have a very clear eye. He doesn't have, nothing clouds his vision, basically. And so, He's very straight. He's very straight. He's powerful as Um, uh, the Sorcerer Supreme says, Mm -hmm. he's the best among them. And so he'll make the right choice whether it's difficult or not, which is why I think he definitely deserves to be leadership.
2: He's quite literally the protector of Earth as we know it.
0: And for Black Panther, T'Challa embodies a lot of those same things, but I also think he he is the diplomat that his father raised him to be, so he'll understand how to kind of engage with all these different groups. I Mm -hmm. think he would really be a good leader in the sense that though Doctor Strange could make the right decisions, he doesn't come across as the most personable. And so T'Challa I feel like is the heart of the team. Like he, he... is the person you want to fight for, he's the person. He's a king. I mean, is there any other way to put it? He's the king of right. Wakanda. He could be the king of anywhere. He could be my king. I would let him be my king. <laughs> I also think that Wakanda, its vibranium and its people comes with a lot of resources that the world would benefit from. And as we know, they're stepping into the spotlight after yes. the last, uh, after the Black Panther movie. And so I think what's important is also co- someone else coming to the... Helm of you know the realm of technology, like leading the way in technological advancements, and there's no better person to do that than Shuri.
2: Yeah, I mean, my you know, pick, I, I sort of ordered my picks in like little pairs, and so my core team is Black Panther and Shuri. I put Spider-Man and Doctor Strange. They have already a chemistry of working together,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and then Valkyrie, Korg. Oh
0: yes, and and Meek. We'll
2: add Meek in there as number seven, but. Um, yeah, I mean, there you got a king and a queen, you got a guy made of rocks, you got a, a Spider-Man and a wizard, and a tech genius, and uh, whatever Meek is. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, those seem to be the characters that, other than Guardians and Captain Marvel and Thor and, and Banner bulk, um, that's who we're going to be focusing on, those new characters. They're the ones with, you know, sequels plans. um... They're really going to lead the MCU into the next era. Emily. Yeah,
0: David. It's
2: been a pleasure talking to you about Avengers you. Endgame.
0: Should we rate this movie?
2: Yeah, I mean, like, uh, out of five stars, shall we? On, On three? One, two, Three, three thousand. <laughs> oh, oh.
0: oh, I missed oh, the reference. I,
2: I beat you. Wow. Um, five stars, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's, it w- it's certainly, no w- certainly wasn't perfect, but I've never had as emotional... Of, of, a, a response, of, of a response right? uh, on a first viewing of any movie.
0: I also think you got to remember that this isn't just the culmination of a series that's been going on for eleven years. It's also um, it's it's not even just like the cultural event of our generation. It's also it shows you where the industry is right now. This is a culmination of a is lot it? of change in the movie industry. It's I don't know. It's it's everything that franchise is yeah to this extravagant conclusion and I think even though franchises are not going away anytime soon it does feel like the end of an era so right. what comes next we don't know but I'll be excited to talk about it
2: yep so on that note Emily I'm gonna finish drinking my coffee we'll pay the bill we'll be back doing another uh, review discussion sometime in the future could be a couple weeks but throughout the summer I think we're gonna do more of these um hopefully in a bunch of different diners, um, explore the great, the great diners of our, of our nation, or just of New Jersey and New York. So until then, adios. Goodbye. Thank you.
1: Where's the microphone? Right here. Where?
2: Like at the
1: bottom of the phone. What do you want the name of the podcast to be?
2: It's called Diner Log. Like dialogue, but
1: in a diner. Diner Log, but dialogue in a diner. With David and Emily Podcast. (laughs) What's it called again? Diner Log. Diner Log. With David and Emily Podcast. David and Emily's dialogue in a diner. Dave and Emily... Diner dogs. What's the name, <laughs> What's the name of Diner him? log. Okay. Diner log with David and Emily, the besties. The Avengers Endgame with David and Emily. Diner log with David and Emily, where they talk about movies at a diner. Diner log with David and Emily, the besties. Coming to a podcast near you, David and Diner Log, with Emily and the Diner Dogs. One of those has to be good. (laughs)